On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, water is our topic this month. From how a proper education can help you better understand beer's most important ingredient to how to properly treat it for your recipes. Then we'll discuss its other uses around the brew house and the best practices for ethylene. This is John Hall and welcome to episode 41. And a quick word on content. This show is for nano brewers, both existing and in planning. So tell us what you'd like to hear. What are the topics you want to learn more about? What issues are you interested in? And who are the brewers you want to hear from? You can email us. It's nano at byo.com. Now, on to the show. Despite being necessary for life and all around us, water can often be overlooked in breweries. It is hard to explain to drinkers and is often taken for granted when we simply turn on a tap or valve. However, having a deeper understanding of this compound helps make better beer and by being conversant can help customers forge a deeper appreciation to the craft. This episode features two guests, John Palmer, the noted author of How to Brew and co-author of Water, and Steve Parks, the director of the American Brewers Guild in Vermont. And we're going to hear from both of them in just a moment. But first, a word of thanks to the show sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. Yeast is an incredible living microorganism. We've known for many years now that yeast has a crucial impact on the flavor profile and other sensory properties of beverages. It affects a wide range of characteristics, such as fruity and floral notes, phenolic or spicy character, the body of the beer, and more. The Fermentus Beer Yeast Strain lineup is designed to answer the requirements of all brewers, so release your creativity. Visit Fermentus.com to discover more about yeast behavior and characterization. We're also brought to you by Five Star Chemicals. Keep your brewery running smoothly with Five Star Chemicals. Their cleaning solutions are specifically formulated to meet the unique needs of all home and professional brewers, ensuring that your equipment stays clean and free of harmful bacteria and contaminants. From cleaning fermenters to kegs, they have a solution for every step of the process. Be sure to check out their PBW liquid and tablets. Use Five Star Chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. That's fivestarchemicals.com. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering the small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nano plus for more details. Now, let's get into the conversations. John J. Palmer is author of the bestseller, How to Brew, Everything You Need to Know to Brew Great Beer Every Time, and co-author of Brewing Classic Styles and Water, a comprehensive guide for brewers, both from Brewers Publications. John J. Palmer was born and raised in Midland, Michigan, and graduated from Michigan Tech University. He graduated with a degree in metallurgical engineering in 1987, and he worked in the space program at a failure analysis lab in Irvine, California, and he has helped design, build, and inspect hardware that is currently flying on the International Space Station. He joined me via Zoom from California. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this again. Um, I, over the course of the, my career as a, as, as a writer, I often find that 
brewers are eager to talk about um, all of the raw ingredients that go into brewing um, with hops being at the top, then malt, then yeast, um, and then after adjuncts and barrels and uh, pretty much anything else, uh, the the conversation will sort of turn around to water. And we all know how critically important it is um, uh, to, to beer. But I also feel like it is something that is difficult to communicate to folks right it's it i mean everybody is put off by the whole label of water chemistry and so naturally they fall back on you know uh more simple explanations uh more more obvious explanation of what's important and what's not and in doing so i think a lot of oh subtle misconceptions are made uh that in into a large extent when you look at brewing textbooks they they throw out the general rule of thumb and which is you know don't worry too much about it it'll work um you know target this and this and it'll work and you know there are other things that are more important well and that's it's all true on the surface of things but uh it, i think if it prevents a brewer from understanding how it works um then their beer can be the lesser for it lesser how um it, it's brewing brewing is cooking so you know just like you can you can whip up a great batch of macaroni and cheese on the stove if you go to a good restaurant and are treated to some real macaroni and cheese by a chef that knows what they're doing it's eye-opening and the same way with beer um you know anybody can make a good pale ale but when you go to examples of the best pale ales um it's you know there's a there's a clear difference um whether you're talking about commercial examples like say fuller's or uh, the best home brewed examples you know and that win the competitions Mm -hmm. um there is a a you know perceptible difference in the clarity and the balance and the complexity of a real truly good pale ale uh, versus a mediocre one and water chemistry can make that difference if you understand what the levers are i would hope that most brewers have some sort of formal training before they 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 get involved and obviously the um the more established brewing programs and brewing schools spend quite a bit of time talking about water chemistry um, for the folks who are thinking about a career in beer um, and on a smaller scale, where, where should that education start even before they get into the classroom? Obviously reading your book, um, but is yeah. there, uh, and if you don't have John's book, go buy John's book and, 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 and read it. Um, 
and then read it again and again and again. But um, where should the where should the education start? Where should where should people be looking? Well, it needs to, to start. Knowledge, yeah. yeah, it needs to start with, um, I guess, the basics of why why brewing water adjustment matters to brewing. Um, I mean, if you have your high school chemistry, you know, and, and you know, you've had that and you remember most of it, uh, you know, then, then you've got a good basis, but, um, <clears throat> the, our, our chief goal in water adjustment, brewing liquor adjustment for brewing is to achieve our target mash pH, which is generally 5.2 to 5.6 as measured at room temperature on a cooled sample. Um, and by doing so, by, by you know, getting into that target mash pH range, we have assured ourselves that the chemistry of the mash, the conversion of starches to sugars proceeded optimally, that the word pH going into the boil where the hop chemistry happens, uh, that's going to proceed optimally. And then when that work is you know, presented to the yeast or vice versa, um, that that fermentation chemistry proceeds optimally. Um, there is that, you know, that, that cascade or trickle down effect. Um, so, that's number one, getting that mash pH right to start the business. Okay. Now, um, you can you can address that in a couple of ways. You can address it by understanding the the inputs of the various minerals in the brewing water: the calcium, magnesium, bicarbonate, sulfate, chlorine, yeah, sulfate. Sodium chloride, mm. um, or you can just brute force it with acid. Um, and you know, a lot most of the time, I guess you could say, brute forcing it will work, it'll accomplish you know 80 to 90 plus percent of what you're trying to accomplish with mash pH. Mm -hmm. Um but there, you know, from there, uh, and I guess you could almost you could almost make the analogy that we're taking it from the craft macaroni and cheese to the chef macaroni and cheese <laughs> metaphor at this point, <laughs> where you everybody know, is pausing this now to go make mac and cheese because it's on, <laughs> it's been on my my mind since you first brought it up. But anyway, please. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, you can you can you can accomplish most of what you want with just a brute force acid approach, you know, pouring in enough acid and measuring until you get, getting that right, that right range. But if you understand the interplay of the minerals and the role that the minerals can play in seasoning the beer, um, both with yeast health, with the calcium and magnesium and beer clarity, um, and then the seasoning effect with sulfate and chloride, sulfate accentuating hop character, chloride and sodium accentuating malt character. Um, this is where you can take it to that next level. 
Now it's not, you know, it's not a smack you in the face kind of next level, but it, it is that a, a small but significant difference, as I said earlier, that makes a good beer great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and that and that's that's the sum total of why we adjust water right there. Um, so yeah, and then from there, now you start getting into more details of you know how much sodium or how much sulfate and chloride and uh, how much calcium and magnesium and residual alkalinity and all those details. You, you brought up something before about um, recipes and sort of taking and then just saying taking it to the next level where for for me as a as a taster not a brewer there are those beers you know the 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 fullers that you mentioned or the sierra nevadas or um you know, the ones where they are really paying close attention to their water chemistry to making sure that it is um like both where they want it to be but have spent time um tinkering with it and working yeah. on that part of the recipe where when you have one of those beers even if it doesn't immediately knock you back in your chair when you first have it um after a couple or you know a six pack uh, over time you you start to realize the real genuine skill um that goes into it and yeah i i, I wonder you know just about the trial and error and the work that brewers should be putting into really spending time on that part of the creative yeah, that, processing yeah that that's that's a really good point um yeah you know that's understanding water chemistry understanding the uh effect of you know the quality of your ingredients understanding the effects of the chemistry of the water on the seasoning and on ph and, and the, the flavor expression of your beer um is what really allows you to be consistent uh, with every brew, every batch. And so, as you say, you know, great uh, brewers, um, you know, great brands like Fuller's and, and Sierra Nevada um, and many others, they, they have dialed this in. They understand that uh, water and, and, uh, consistency of their brewing water and, and consistency of their chemistry is very important to brand consistency and excellence. So, yeah, um, it's, it, I mean, it's one reason that so many brewers in California, for example, have switched to RO systems uh, because our water, you know, historically over the last 10, 20 years, our water supply tends to vary so much in terms of the source, the mineral content, that it just became more economical, both from, um, you know, uh, consistency and excellence to invest in the RO system, strip out, you know, the minerals, uh, and then build it back up to a consistent level. For breweries that are thinking about opening um, even outside of California or uh, getting to that next level. 
I know, you know, again, I, I don't want to keep harping back on, you know, people are going to be talking about, you know, torpedoes or hopbacks or, or whatever. Um, mm. Is it important to invest in an RO system? Should, should brewers, regardless of location, be thinking about? No. Okay. Um, and, I, I, and again, it comes back to understanding your water source. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you, particularly if you're on the east, eastern half of the country, and have a relatively unchanging water source um, that you pull from, then chances are that water source will suit you admirably, you know, with just with with particular uh, water adjustment recipes, mineral salt addition recipes Mm -hmm. to that water source for the different styles you brew. Um, It's when that water source changes you know month to month season to season that you may uh look at investing in an ro system uh particularly if that water source has high alkalinity yeah getting rid of high alkalinity so so that you can brew a brighter cleaner crisper uh pale lager for example is is uh, a good approach um because otherwise, uh, yeah, the alkalinity tends to make for coarse tasting pale beers. Yeah. Should brewers, I mean, understanding local water sources is is critically important. And um, I think that's also a great consumer conversation to be having as well of where does the brewery's water come from where does our drinking water come from the the more people are aware of it and making sure that it's being protected properly is um an important conversation that i think brewers can can be leading um but given location um should brewers be thinking about trying to play into the strengths of their local water or are we at a point now where we don't have to worry about regionality with style as much as maybe we used to. Um, yeah, great, great question. Great <laughs> question. Um, yeah. So, I mean, generally <laughs> depends on your capabilities. It depends on that, what that water source is. Yeah. If it's, if it's kind of a middle of the road water source, then yeah, I mean, I would, I would play to it because it's, you know, if you've got, you know, moderate alkalinity um, and reasonable hardness, you know, not super low, then um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very versatile water. You can brew a wide range of amber styles with, you know, with uh, not much uh, tweaking. Um if it's a low mineral water source, like they have, you know, say around, you know, Golden, Colorado, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, that on the one hand, that's kind of ideal because it means that you can add salts to brew anything you want. So, you know, in terms of, in terms of a clean slate, I mean, it's, it's like, it's next to having reverse osmosis water at your beck and call mm-hmm. where, you can simply build whatever you feel you want. It's when you have a high alkalinity source that you have to start investing in the brewery to uh, give you flexibility. Now, you know, if you, 
it depends. And then now going back to your question, you know, I'm starting out in this market. Um, what is that? What does the com competition in that market look like? You know, um, and if I have a high alkalinity water source, that lends itself best to brewing darker beers. Um, should I specialize in darker beers? If if you can make a good one and there's a you know a good market for darker beers in that region, then yeah, I would play to that strength. And in today's market, having a story, having a a local tie-in. Uh, can can be a very strong selling point in terms of you know local demand. Um, whereas if you're shipping, you know if you're if instead you're a shipping brewery and trying to service most of the state, um, you know that that story may not be as strong. Um, you may find yourself having to brew several different uh, year-round styles to you know carve out a big enough niche in the market to be sustainable and uh, so in that case you know there's really there's really no point in trying to you know uh, what's what I'm what just specialize with that local water versus you know uh, enabling it to be more versatile that makes sense um I feel like there's always innovation that's happening around the beer space. And right. there are uh, folks who are trying to uh, bring something new to the conversation. And before we went on the air and, and, and some emails, you were mentioning a conversation that you had uh, out in Colorado. I guess you were you out judging for the early rounds of the World Beer Cup? Yeah. Yeah. I was out there for phase two. Yeah. And, uh, and you had a conversation with the brewer. Can you yeah. tell me about that? Sure. Um, we were at we were at a, a large regional brewery um, that's very well regarded. Um, they do a lot of lagers and uh, and they they you know brew very consistently good beers. Um, and in talking with the brewmaster, I mean, a very sharp guy. Um, but I asked him about you know what he did, how he addressed his water adjustment. Um, let me let me just preface this by saying that as a home brewer, you have the the great good option of having a dedicated hot liquor tank for that brew. In other words, you can adjust all of your brewing water at you know at the beginning of the day uh, to you know perfectly tailor it to the particular style that you're brewing, mm -hmm. and then brew with that water right through the process and you know you're done you've 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 made that you know that perfectly designed pint um whereas if you're a commercial brewer um you you know you've got a larger volume of water to heat and treat you may not have a hot liquor tank you may have you know one of those uh instant hot water heaters or a a couple of them hooked up in in uh, tandem to supply your brewing water to your mash tun, and um, there, you know, it's it's 
you don't have the luxury of treating your water ahead of time. So you're generally, you're generally filling your mash tun with your brewing liquor, adding your acids and salts to adjust it and then mashing in. A lot of brewers um, will mash in simultaneously as they're filling um, or wait till the mash is wait till the mash is complete and then add salts and acid trying to adjust the pH, which is less ideal because just the, the total dissolved solids present in a full mash or, you know, in, in that mash uh, re really reduces the ion mobility. And so the, the length of time it takes to actually adjust the pH and to make all those uh, mineral ions available to the chemistry of the mash takes much longer than if you would dissolve them in ahead of time with the water before mashing in. So that's in that case. Okay. And if you are an even larger brewer, you may, you will probably have a very large, you know, like a 30 barrel hot liquor tank, but the trouble is you're going to partially empty that and then refill it for the next brew that you're going to do that day. Um, and then partially emptied again and refill it. And so you can't make just a single uh, chemistry adjustment unless you really, really track exactly how much water you pulled out and how much water you put back in and add the precise amount of salts back to that. You know, that um, it's doable, but it takes, takes a great deal of, of measuring to make sure that you've got it right. So again, you're probably going to, in that case, with like a 30 barrel system, you're probably uh, doing it all at the mash tun again um, in order to, to achieve uh, the correct chemistry for the brew. So with that being said, you gotta remember <laughs> where I am here. Um, this brewer, because it's Colorado and he has very low mineral water, said, yeah, I just don't, I don't do any mineral adjustments. I just use acid. I, for all of his various beers, he used acid to make his adjustments, you know, once he's mashed in and he's, you know, checked his pH for that recipe and, um, you know, and then, then to do a, a measured acid adjustment to that, to that pH to get it in the ballpark. And I thought it was interesting because you could see that this brute force approach worked. Um, and, you know, he clearly had consistent, high quality beers. Um, and, you know, they, they win competitions and, and he's well-regarded, but, you know, I thought I couldn't help thinking to myself, well, they could be more if, you know, appropriate salts were added to enhance the character of the beers that's there. It's interesting. It's got to be fun to still have conversations like this, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, and and it it helps me. I mean, I you know I always try to keep uh, this conversation in perspective because it's so easy, you know, as a as a somewhat a, somewhat of an academic, you know, writing about it all the time, presenting on it all the time to say, oh yeah, water and chemistry is the most important thing, yada yada, but. Um, it really does go back to the fact that, you know, if you know what you're doing, 
and you've got favorable conditions, it, it really is like number six on the top five list. <laughs> um, it, uh, you know, you can get, you can get away without worrying about it in a lot of cases. Um, but it's on the other hand, uh, I can point to some consulting jobs I've done for major breweries um, where they're, they're, you know, being their contract brewing a particular brand and they're given the recipe and the water adjustment recipe and, you know, by the, by the contractor with no regard to what their local water is that they're adding this water adjustment recipe to. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, I, go into a, a job like this and it's like, okay, I need, I need, you know, your source water uh, profile. I need your water adjustment recipe. I need, you know, a list of, you know, what quantities of acids and minerals you're adding at each stage and any pH readings you're taking um, to, you know, really evaluate this. And it's surprising. I mean, you'll have, You'll have major breweries adding um, 200 ppm of brewing salts to uh, water that already has over 100 ppm in it, um, and then they and they then they complain about you know carbonate scale uh, precipitating in their equipment and the amount of acid that they need you know to add to the brew, um, to get the pH right. <laughs> it's, it's like they're, they're dumping in with the one hand and taking it out with the other, um, you know, in terms of what they're, you know, the, the, what, the, what they're, you know, doing to, uh, make the pH come out. Right. So, um, yeah, that's why, that's why I do say it is important to understand you know, this interplay of your source water and what the needs of the recipe are. Where would you like to, what's the call to action? What's the, what's the challenge you'd like to put out to um, brewers, regardless of size regarding yeah. thinking about water? Yeah. It's, it's just it's simply to understand, understand their source water, understanding what they're, what they're working with. Um, you know, if they if they're a low mineral brewer, then um, they simply need to add appropriate amount of salts. And you, you know, there's tons of brewing software out there that'll help you calculate that um, to to make that beer shine. Um, it's not a matter of matching classic brewing cities for a style. It's because brewing is cooking. It's a matter of adding appropriate amounts, sufficient amounts of you know calcium magnesium bicarbonate sodium chloride sulfate to the water to enhance the desired flavors and uh, the water book talks about this of course but really the latest edition of how to brew uh, the fourth edition that came out in 2017 uh, really i think puts a finer point on it with the brew cube no, it isn't a matter of matching a particular profile. It's a matter of achieving a general profile um, that that 
accomplishes what you as a brewer or a chef want that seasoning to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and once it, once, so once you understand your source water, once you understand what your, what these, that source water and your water adjustments are trying to accomplish, then it's time to look at your brewery, your setup, and, you know, figure out how best to accomplish that. Um, and as I was saying earlier, you know, it depends on the size of your batch, the kind of equipment you have, whether you got the hot liquor tank or, you know, how many brews you're trying to do a day. Um, probably you're going to be doing these water adjustments, you know, at the mash ton before you mash in. Um, and if you can't, if you can't mash, if you can't do that before you mash in, then you're trying to catch up as you mash in. So um, you've got to make those decisions yourself and what, what works seems to work best for you. But I will say that uh, water adjustment works best before mashing in. If you are going to, and, and when you're adjusting water, if you add your acids first, then your salts, um, that it, the adding the acid first will help your salts dissolve. Calcium chloride dissolves readily, no problem. Um, sodium bicarbonate dissolves ready, no problem with that. Calcium sulfate, which is the one that lots of brewers add for their IPAs, takes a long time to dissolve. And it dissolves better in cold water than in hot water. So adding your acid uh, first, getting that pH lower will help it dissolve more quickly because um, you certainly don't want to just sit in there on the bottom of the mash tun. It takes a fair amount of stirring. Um, and then, uh, yeah, please, please measure your mash pH. See where, see where you're coming out. Um, lots of brewers measure their mash pH at the end of the process, at the end of the mash, because the pH is more stable then. Um, but that is based on, they know where, you know, they brewed that recipe a number enough times that if it's coming out at 5.2 at the end of the mash, that mean it's, means it started at 5.4 and that was right where they wanted to be, you know, for the, the beginning of the mash for conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, whenever I'm developing a new recipe, I'm measuring at the beginning of the mash about five to 10 minutes in after I've mashed in, after, you know, the mash has had a chance to homogenize and, you know, everything's fully wetted and chemistry has started to happen. That's when I'm looking for that five, two to five, six range um, because that's the start of sacrification. Uh, that's the beginning of the mash, and we're trying to set up the right conditions at the beginning of mash for all of the mash chemistry to happen, you know, uh, optimally. Um, so, yeah, measure your pH at the beginning of the mash, see if you're in the ballpark. If you're not, you can try adding some more acid to bring it down, but if you're already too low, 
it's difficult to bring it back up, you'll need to add sodium bicarbonate to the water or less acid the next time you brew that recipe to the water before you mash in. <laughs> Sorry to throw so many ideas at you. No, not at all. This is this is great food for thought. Um, I was I was just thinking that had uh, you been my high school chemistry teacher, my life probably could have taken a different tract uh, in a positive way. So um, it's always a pleasure to to, to listen and to, to learn from you. Um, John, thanks for being on the show this month. Oh, my pleasure. More in a moment, but first, a note from this episode's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Fermentus. Yeast is an incredible living microorganism. We've known for many years now that yeast has a crucial impact on the flavor profile and other sensory properties of beverages. It affects a wide range of characteristics, such as fruity and floral notes, phenolic or spicy character, the body of the beer, and more. Fermentus Beer Yeast Strain lineup is designed to answer the requirements of all brewers, so release your creativity. Visit Fermentus.com to discover more about yeast behavior and characterization. We're also brought to you by Five Star Chemicals. Keep your brewery running smoothly with Five Star Chemicals. Their cleaning solutions are specifically formulated to meet the unique needs of all home and professional brewers, ensuring that your equipment stays clean and free from harmful bacteria and contaminants. From cleaning fermenters to kegs, they have a solution for every step of the process. Be sure to check out their PBW liquid and tablets. Use Five Star Chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. That's fivestarchemicals.com. Also, don't forget, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past Nanocon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. Now into the brew house to talk about how to best use water for your beers and how to properly dispose of effluent. Once again on the show, I'm glad to be joined by Steve Parks. He's the owner and lead instructor of the American Brewers Guild in Middlebury, Vermont. He is also the owner and brewer of Drop-In Brewery, and he's also a sought-after educator and expert on beer styles and history. He joined me via Zoom from Vermont. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks Thank for you. doing this. Mm-hmm. Right before we went on, you mentioned that science is hard and it's also necessary. And one of the things when I go into to, to breweries, I'm always happy to talk about hops or I'm happy to learn about a new yeast strain or how a brewer is making a yeast strain work to uh, their advantage um, or the use of craft malt or whatever you know ingredients that they're putting into their beer. Water very rarely comes up in the conversation. Um, but obviously we know how critically important it is. And from your standpoint with the American Brewers Guild, I, I, I wonder how early are you talking about water education and what are you trying to drive home to the students? We've um, been able to, I think, 
the water is a hugely complicated and complex subject. Um, uh, water chemistry is a is a branch of science, and uh, people spend you know lifetimes in, in understanding it at a at a at a, at a deep level. Um, brewers um, only need to know a few things um, about it. Um, first of all, brewers need to know that uh, what makes potable water or, or what even makes water uh, good for brewing, what the particular ions that are dissolved in water can do in the brewing process for beer. Um, so by about the third or fourth week, I think, after we've talked about malt, um, and um, and uh, specialty malts. We introduce water as uh, as a subject of study. It's um, it's uh, fundamental to 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 beer making, obviously. And mm -hmm. uh, different qualities of water can make very very profound effects on uh, on beer flavor. But the great thing about it, I suppose, is that it's like base malt in a way that that uh, that as long as it's um, it provides what it what it's supposed to what it needs to provide for the process then uh, there are lots of different ways there's lots of different types of water that you can use uh potable water the water that's safe to drink and we're lucky living in um in uh, modern countries where a modern country where um there are certain uh regulations in place about the quality of water delivered not just to homes but to businesses as well mm -hmm. and um and so uh, for the most part you're going to be able to make beer with whatever's coming out of the faucet um it's when you really get into fine-tuning the process i think you can have a a greater impact on um, on drinkability, and um, and on um, and on the fineness of the quality of the flavors that you're getting out of the other ingredients if you uh, pay attention to water chemistry. But um, it is something that you can um, ignore if you if you really want to <laughs> and still make beer. So I think that uh, at every level, um, brewers can uh, can. Uh, can can appreciate it or make beer with it and therefore um learning more about it is really when you start to, to start to influence the the fineness of the flavors in your product and that's when uh that's when as you progress as a brewer you really start to see dividends in 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 studying the science of it yeah i mean you can make beer um if you're ignoring it but i also noticed that you didn't say that you could make beer of note or beer that is of good quality or beer that maybe people would want to drink and maybe some people would but um there, there's certainly tangible benefits of paying attention to your water quality and how you're treating it and how you're approaching it um to separate you know, a mediocre beer from a really good one there really are and the the i'm judging world beer cup um later this week um in nashville and um from my experience, um, judging the half final half dozen beers on the table in the medal round, um, they've made it through all the other rounds. So uh, presumably they're all going to be in excellent examples of the style, but differentiating the finest nuances between them to decide which one wins the medals is often down to whether um, uh, to water treatment um, um, and uh, and to uh, just just yes precise and nuanced ele you know, elements of the beer's flavor um can again be influenced to the minute level by uh by careful treatment of the water i think that's what makes a difference at the end of the day to whether it's a gold medal or or doesn't win anything 
Can, can you give an example of something in that realm that you've encountered in the past of, um, I know we, you know, judging comes up a lot, especially this time of year is, uh, this will air just after world beer cup, but, mm-hmm. um, is there, I don't know. Is there an example of having some of those beers on the table in a particular style where the water chemistry really helped make the decision at the end of the day? Is are there are there styles that that jump out to you as critically important where attention needs to be paid? It really comes down, I think, to um, the finished beer pH, and that's something that you have kind of control over as a brewer if you want to go the extra extra mile to uh, fine tuning that. Um, there's definitely um, a difference in the way beer flavors are perceived based on different on different pHs in the beer. Um, alkalinity is by far the the most obvious one um if your water chemistry is off and the water is slightly too alkaline finished beer ph is just slightly higher um it's it it completely it completely um is evident in the, it is completely evident rather in the way the hops are perceived the way the beer sweetness is perceived um you can uh treat the water in such a way that you enhance um the the finer qualities of the hop um or you can treat the water in such a way as you bring out more of the malt character um but at the end of the day i think um the the uh, a slightly alkaline water will will um will dull down the bitterness and uh and um and uh reduce the quality of the hop flavors and um and that's just that can be obvious um even at, even at sort of subtle levels so yeah um drinkability uh, and the way and the way you consume a beer, uh, and the the desire to even aside from judging a beer, whether you decide that you want to uh, have another one after you've had the first one, uh, the pH of the of the finished beer can uh, can influence your perception, um, and uh, and that's I think is where a lot of brewers uh, aren't necessarily focusing enough on um, on not I mean, you you can make the beer taste delicious and you know for a sip, but how does the beer taste after after you've drunk most of the pint down and there's just a little bit left in the bottom of the glass and the bartender comes along and asks you if you want another one or not, uh, you're going to make that decision based on what that last um, last uh, eighth of a pint tastes like um, as opposed to what the first sip did. And I think that uh, that is uh, where water chemistry comes in into its own, where you can uh, fine-tune the nuances and the, fl- the flavour and the drinkability of the beer over over a session as well as just being judged yeah when when you're talking to brewers in your in your courses who have designs on one day maybe opening up their own brewery um there's a lot of water treatment you can do there's a lot of um uh, modifications that you can make off of municipal water or uh, whatever your water source is to to make it do what you want to. Um, but when I think back to historical styles and how uh, groundwater dictated or helped define styles that we that we know today, um, where where does water source quality um, come into the conversation for breweries and planning? Is that is that something they should be thinking about, or is it you can do the modifications no matter what the water is coming in and 
Yeah, you really can. Um, reverse, reverse osmosis filtration, um, diluting the, uh, the the water with reverse osmosis filtered water. I mean, Chico in California, the water's got a ton of um, of um, alkalinity in it. Temporary hardness of the bicarbonate levels are really high, uh, and so they in order to make um, beers that weren't stouts and porters, pale ales and uh, and uh, lagers, they have to uh, treat the water. And they've got, um, they've got um, dechlorination, they've got a reverse osmosis filtration. There's a number of methods that they use to treat the water to make beer. Uh, the Sudwerk Brewery in, in Davis, uh, the water there was... Um, very high in alkalinity and uh they had to um uh, treat the water to the point where they removed everything and then add back um specific uh ions in order to make the water uh, quality there go appropriate for brewing um so we do have this uh this ability to change the water encountered a brewery in los angeles at one point back in the uh back in the 90s and uh they were seeing four different water sources uh being delivered to their uh their their brewery and um, any given day i mean they they had to be able to predict what they were what they were going to be brewing with that day and all four of them were very different so uh, <laughs> they reverse osmosis filtered everything just to start from scratch um, so yeah, it's entirely possible. And a lot of the um the stories about um about breweries um, um becoming successful and associated with certain water chemistry, um going back into history, that's uh, as much a um a demonstration of um of economics as anything else. They made slightly better beer in that part of the world and and um, they became uh, a more successful business and brewing company for for making uh, that style. But there are a lot of other factors. I mean, not not it's, there it's is not the, just the water quality. It's not yeah. just the water. Burton on Trent, famous for India Pale Ales, there's a lot more that went into it than that. The fact that a canal connected the breweries to the seaport where the ships were leaving from. There was a lot more to the success of India Pale Ale in uh, Burton on Trent than just the water. But it was uh, uh, the sulfury uh, notes that were there, and the fact that it made uh, pale ales paler and and hop hop flavors in the finished beer more pronounced and finer. Uh, so yeah, there was a there was a definitely a difference, but there were a lot of other things going on as well. I dig that. Um, so, what else are you encouraging students to think about? I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. PH is uh, is a thing, and um, this is where we spend most of our time um, talking about residual alkalinity. Um, there are uh, ions in water, uh, hardness, which is calcium and magnesium, that uh, uh, work chemically to with the malt to reduce or the buffering the buffered pH of a mash. Uh, they tend to drag it downwards to a lower number. Um, and then there are ions in the water, the bicarbonate, uh, that works with ions in the mash to, to pull the pH upwards. And so the two of them are working together and arriving at a balance between the two. And brewers, you can do some calculations based on your water analysis and uh, determine which of, one, which of the two are likely to win uh, the battle between uh, lowering the pH of the mash and raising the pH of the mash. And if you care about 
um, the final beer pH and the quality of the drinkability and the fineness of the flavors in the finished beer, then it's worth considering um, uh, changing that um, ratio to uh, get the pH that you want. And that usually means either removing some of the alkalinity, um, you can do that chemically or mechanically, um, or um, increasing the, uh, the, uh, the hardness um, using um, calcium containing or magnesium containing um, 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 elements or compounds rather. And uh, then it's a case of which of them are more soluble, how you mechanically add them to the beer or to the water rather. And that's when things start to get um, down, down to less about chemistry and more about, you know, techniques and brewing techniques. So we, we talk about all of that in the class with the students and uh, and um, give them some ideas about how to change the chemistry of the water to give them the results they want in the brew. Nice. Um, let's talk about use of water in breweries aside from the brewing practices. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of water that goes into uh, the beer making process that does not wind up in a bottle or can at the end of the day. There really is. One of the, uh, if you look at any of the older textbooks, they'll talk about, um, you know, 10 gallons of water for every gallon of beer produced. And while that may have been true at one point, it certainly needn't be true now. Um, that was big brewery uh, practices where you had um, machine, massive machines for washing bottles and and uh and keg washing and uh and things like that and tank cleaning and nowadays uh most small craft or nano breweries right out of the gate are buying these closed uh cylindro conical vessels a cylinder on top of a cone uh with a built-in spray ball and uh chemicals can be used uh, over and over again you can clean one tank with a chemical and then another second one with the same chemical so uh use of water in breweries is um has dropped dramatically and most uh craft brewers now are operating between sort of three and four gallons of water for every gallon of beer that they produce but that extra water is um is not all of it needs to be brewing quality uh, if you're um, spending money to alter the chemistry of the water that you brew with, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to alter the chemistry of the water you clean with, because um, that's not as important. Um, we used to, if you're building uh, detergents, if you're buying raw, raw chemicals, and then it's better to have soft water as a basis for that. But normally now, if you're buying a, a pre-built uh, alkaline cleaning detergent, it comes with... Um, with um, compounds added to it to help it work better in hard water, or and and so there's a there's we've got these uh, these um, um, I guess improvements in our ingredient supply now that uh, that mean um, we we have to pay less attention to that kind of stuff. But yes, if you're treating water for brewing, then just treat the water you're going to use in the brew because uh, there's no point in in removing the alkalinity or hardness of a water that you're going to be rinsing a tank with um unless you uh, uh because you you've got chemicals that work with that yeah and then what about wastewater biggest issue i think uh when putting a brewery in these days you've got to think about where the waste is going to go um Breweries, um, for, I think for a very long time, were ignored when it came to this, this particular issue. And in some cases, there's a, 
an infrastructure that can handle the brewery waste and it can go straight down the drain. But in most cases now, uh, local uh, municipalities are looking at um, at uh, brewery waste as a as for the issue that it is a, a, a serious issue when it comes to uh, strain on the wastewater handle wastewater treatment plants that they may have. And then there are a lot of breweries looking at remote locations that don't have a, a city utility or a town utility that can take care of waste and have to think about taking care of it themselves. Um, Vermont um, requires pretreatment of wastewater and a lot of other, I would imagine, uh, states and municipalities would as well. The ability to get rid of pollutant water, I think, is um, is uh, one of the biggest issues that a startup faces. Uh, planning for that and uh, and um, just taking care of the mess that you make. It's kind of incumbent upon every industry, I feel, to clean up after itself. Um, so uh, I think brewery waste is uh, is one of the biggest issues startups face. I, having toured uh, a, a good number of breweries in Vermont and knowing that the state is typically on the forefront of environmental awareness. Um, it, it strikes me that brewers in planning um, or brewers that are looking at expansions um, should be looking at Vermont as a guide for what is potentially to come uh, for for other states. Like I, I don't know the exact numbers of how many other states have uh, regulations like your state does, uh, but I imagine they're coming, and I imagine that you know people are uh, increasingly concerned about what's getting into the waste stream and um, and how to mitigate that. But um, what sort of equipment should brewers be thinking about? And I know this this is the not cheap part of this conversation, but the uh, a little money up front or a lot of money up front saves you a lot more money down the line yeah you're going to um need a way of collecting the wastewater um and then uh, monitoring it for quality pre-treating it if necessary before it gets released uh to either the sewer or your own on-site treatment or is hauled off-site um there are a couple of number of different options there um Pre-treatment uh, equipment is of the you know in the hundred thousand um, dollar yeah. um, ballpark, um, but it can be as simple as um, installing um, or into some kind of uh, barrier between the drains in the brewery and the city sewer, um, and that means uh, collecting it in a tank. In our case, uh, we buried a uh, a little uh, um, a little tank underground. Um, we planned for that when we were building the brewery. Um, it has a submersible pump in it and uh, it's on a float and it collects the wastewater going down the drain, pumps it up into a tank that is stored above ground, where we, which is uh, gauged uh, so we can take a daily level from it and then release a certain volume of, uh, of waste to the uh, to the uh, city sewer drain um, on a daily basis. And so we... We, re we release about 200 or so gallons a day manually, and we, we do that all, all, week, all every day of the week, including weekends. 
and record that and send that to our local um, utility who uh, and then once a, once a quarter we will take a sample out of the vessel and uh, have that sent to a lab they will measure the biological oxygen demand of the waste stream and the um, of the sample rather and uh, the suspended solids in the sample and then they will apply that across the three months of or the quarters worth of uh, daily releases as an average and bill us according to the strength of the waste and the amount mm. of waste we're dumping. Um, you, if you are building a brewery and um, you, you would, I would, I would always recommend putting that in, um, putting a system like that in, certainly burying something in the parking lot before you, before you finish putting the tarmac down uh, or finish the concrete in the brewery uh, so that it's there rather than when they come along and tell you that's what you have to have you then have to dig up everything and bury it after the fact so having it in there to begin with because it's going to it's going to come come at some point that you're going to have to take care of uh, of some of some way of saving and then monitoring and measuring the waste going down the drain it's not it's not something you can attach a flow meter to and and hope that that's going to give you an accurate count um yeah. so yeah that that's that's a, a minimum thing when you're starting out later on um um you kind of you're going to might end up having to as you get much larger like something like a brewery of fiddlehead that's in 10 years gone from nowhere to a hundred thousand barrels over that time they've got a fairly uh a large uh pre-treatment and wastewater uh plant on their own on their own brewery site now uh so they uh they they're taking care of the waste alchemist is doing the same thing with their own um their own uh, wastewater treatment in-house as well so and they're about 18 to twenty thousand barrels or so so breweries of that sort of size are, are, are making the investment in pre-treatment and actual full-on finished you know treatment of the finished beer uh sorry the finished wastewater uh to uh to um to to make it an acceptable level to send it down the drain yeah back in uh oh years ago there was a brewery in in um napa valley um on a farm estate uh winery uh they built a brewery there and they installed one of those living machines which is a uh, a treatment plant that uses a series of containers and natural organisms that take care of the waste. And eventually they, it leads to fish ponds and, and flower uh, hydroponic flowers and things like that. Uh, there's I was visited um, a version of it at a rest stop in Vermont a couple of weekends ago. And um, yeah, it's fascinating to see how this, uh, this system takes care of, of of wastewater in the case of in this case human waste uh in the uh in the uh rest stop and then cleans it up to it can be used as a uh as it can be used as a, a something to water flowers with it's pretty great hmm. it's uh i like it that's you know again on the the forefront of environmental action i dig that um, yeah i mean there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of stories about about taking it further i mean there's the um the the, the gunther Pauli uh, uh zero waste brewery experiment i think it was in namibia and it was uh and basically uh closing all the loops so 
you'll you'll take the wastewater from the brewery or treat it which is alkaline in nature because of caustic cleaning um you'll um treat it with blue green algae which will grow a, a sustainable food source for plants that was for animals anyway and uh, and neutralize the ph waste and then clean it up with something else using it with vermiculture and eventually um um feed that to chickens and use chicken manure to grow some some plants or some food products and things like that and eventually eventually it got down to the water was clean enough for ornamental fish which are worth a lot of money and uh and you can you can eventually uh build a system of of ancillary businesses that take care of uh byproducts of uh waste from the brewery and it was a fascinating i i thought originally a thought experiment but it turned out they actually built one so i don't know um you obviously think a lot about water and I, I think a lot of brewers do um for clean water and the importance of it um being good stewards of of what goes back uh into the systems afterwards how can brewers be advocates or um educators to their consumer base on water Hmm. and the importance of it in the brewery and there are some clean water sources etc yeah, yeah yeah that's good that's a good point and that's something that brewers should i feel um uh be be doing um there's it's a it's it's tough to think of water as being a, a finite resource when there's you know so much of it um we understand that the the understanding the water cycle um is uh is important for brewers i feel uh but it's more important for the general public to just to be aware of uh of um where of, of where water comes from and that goes to scientific literacy amongst the general population and teach this stuff in school have kids do science classes and and uh just the general public becoming a uh, aware of of some of the scientific principles that govern the world that we live in um, and uh, brewers can certainly, I think, um, have a role in that. Um, there's certainly in certain states uh, around the lakes, there's clean water initiatives that uh, that breweries have signed on to and sponsor. Um, there's uh, and and that brings with it education, uh, an education component for the general public. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I wish uh, I wish um, brewers would do more, and I'm certainly. Uh, um, vowing myself to try to try harder uh you need to be reminded sometimes that uh this stuff is important um but uh it's very important to brewers not just for our own self-interest to having a resource that we can uh, reliably use to brew beer but also um um you know there's there's going to be uh wars fought in the future over water and uh and, yeah. uh, so uh so if the longer we can put that off the better yeah or avoid it altogether but or yes. avoided well yeah <laughs> not, towards, not the inevitable march towards war goodness That's, <laughs> no i'm uh, sorry about that didn't mean to introduce that to that thought to the conversation but um <laughs> so one call to action then to the brewers listening to the show when it comes to water um if you save it preserve it um use as little of it as possible to make your beer and then you'll have to spend less money throwing it away at the end of the day because you will end up paying to get rid of the water you don't use um 
get, when you're building your brewery for the first time, talk to um, the water the water utility. Um, um, unless you you know if you're building it on a well, then then you're going to have to obviously uh, uh, get that'll give you some kind of um, a marketing advantage. You can the public seem to generally love the idea of uh, of, uh, of 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 you you being the only brewery that can use that water. Um, remember that the only that's one of the things that differentiates you from everybody else uh, is your water source. You're you're all using the same malts. We're all using the same varieties of hops. We're all using similar yeast strains now. Um, and uh, the thing that uh, is unique about your brewery is the the water that comes out the tap. Um, so um, I think uh, it's useful um, talking about that to the customers as. You just suggested there, John, to, to not just um, educate them about uh, the importance of uh, of water to everybody, but also to um, the uniqueness of the water you're using to uh, make your beer out of. Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild. That's abgbrew.com. Thanks so much for joining me on the show this month and uh, sharing your insights as always. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. How are you putting water to its best use at your brewery? Tell us by emailing us. It's nano at BYO.com. Or better yet, tag BYO on all of the various BYO social media channels. And I'll invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nano podcast. There you can subscribe to the newsletter and the magazine and catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So please subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. You can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at BYO.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media panels. As always, thanks to this episode's sponsors. Fermentus. Yeast is an incredible living microorganism. We've known for many years now that yeast has a crucial impact on the flavor profile and other sensory properties of beverages. It affects a wide range of characteristics, such as fruity and floral notes, phenolic or spicy character, the body of the beer, and more. Fermentus Beer Yeast Strain lineup is designed to answer the requirements of all brewers, so release your creativity. Visit fermentus.com to discover more about yeast behavior and characterization. We're also brought to you by Five Star Chemicals. Keep your brewery running smoothly with Five Star Chemicals. Their cleaning solutions are specifically formulated to meet the unique needs of all home and professional brewers, ensuring that your equipment stays clean and free from harmful bacteria and contaminants. From cleaning fermenters to kegs, they have a solution for every step of the process. Be sure to check out their PBW liquid and tablets. Use Five Star Chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. That's fivestarchemicals.com. Also, don't forget, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast from All About Beer. Find it where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful 